Okay. All right. Let's take our Bible and open to the book of Judges again. Open to the book of Judges. Phil, am I on? I can't tell. Am I on here? Let's see. Yes. Okay. I'm on. All right, the book of Judges, uh, we're going to look tonight, uh, if the Lord helps us, we're going to look at the famous uh, story of the fleece, okay? So that's in Judges chapter number 6. So Judges chapter 6, and we will start reading in verse number 36. Judges chapter 6, verse number 36. Now, we read this morning, and we uh, studied in the book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7, and we saw, I think it's pretty evident, that uh, although Hebrews describes Gideon as a man of faith, and for sure he had faith, but what we saw as we started looking at Gideon's life is uh, in his natural state, and I was thinking, but right before the, the service started, I was thinking how, even in my own life, uh, how ministry in Cambodia and ministry in general is really comes very unnatural to me, and uh, how I'm I'm one of these people that uh, really does not when I go into a store when I go into a restaurant I don't want people to talk to me. I did, I'm I'm happy if you just leave me alone. Let me get my food. You know you can say hello, you can nod, but I don't want to talk to people, and. Uh, you know, that doesn't really, that's not really compatible with preaching and being a missionary and that. It's just not compatible. But just like with Gideon, not, I'm not saying I'm Gideon, don't get the wrong impression. But just like with Gideon, that was, he was naturally weak and, and doubting, and that was his natural disposition. But God, when he exercised faith in what God told him, he transformed into a mighty man of valor and the man uh, that he's known to be in the Scripture. But in chapter 6 and verse 36, this is right in the middle of the story. And uh, so God has told Gideon now that he is going to deliver Israel uh, uh, from, the, the, uh, from the oppression of the Midianites. And, uh, and so Gideon has reason to believe, in, believe God on this matter. And in verse 36, we'll read down from verse 36 down to number 40, verse 40. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early in, on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a full bowl of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece. And upon all the ground let there be dew. And God, said, and God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew 
on all the ground. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for loving us. Once again, we come to you and uh, we ask your blessing upon the reading and the study of your word. Lord, we ask that you would guide us as we study together, that you would give grace and uh, that we might be attentive to what your word says and, and receive it with meekness. We pray that you would, uh, you, your spirit would uh, walk among us and uh, would speak to us. Lord, each one of us that has uh, repented and trusted in Christ has uh, received the Spirit of God to dwell in us forever. And so, Lord, upon dependence, upon the Spirit of God, we ask you to, to, to talk to us through your word and to show us uh, what we need and to give us wisdom and understanding in your will. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're so patient and kind with us. We thank you for loving us, uh, even unto the cross, and uh, for rising again from the dead, that we might be saved. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for each person that's come here uh, this evening, who has made the, the uh, taken the time out to be here, and has, uh, has desired to seek you tonight. I pray that they would go away filled, and uh, that you would meet with us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let me say up from the, from the outset, hopefully, well, let me just say this. <clears throat> I know, and you know, that this incident with the fleece has become, has become kind of an illusion in, the, you know, in English. In other words, we refer to this story by illusion in our normal speech, and we say things like, well, we're, we're going to put a fleece out. And when we say that, we mean that, we mean that we're going to set some sort of parameter to guide us. That's what we mean by that. And it's become a common, you know, a common saying that most people understand, even people that don't know the Lord, that aren't believers. They sometimes say things like that. And, it, and of course, you hear it among church people, for sure. You hear it among church people a lot. But I'll say from the outset, and then I'll show you why I say this, that the fleece incident, the, the incident with the fleece, should not be viewed by us as a model for ascertaining God's will in our lives. All right? The fleece incident should not be used as a model for us for ascertaining God's direction in our lives. Now, the, and I'm going to show you in just a minute, but... The fleece, the whole thing with the fleece, the request of Gideon regarding the fleece uh, was actually born out of Gideon's doubt, not from his faith. So the reason that, that Gideon asked God to put dew on the fleece and then vice versa, the reason he did that was not out of belief but out of doubt. Now we already saw this morning as we studied Gideon that Gideon was a man who had a lot of faith, but he had doubt mixed with his faith. And, you know, thank, thank God that God overlooks that, and He works with, with us to work that out of us. That doesn't excuse it. I'm not excusing doubt. And, uh, in fact, what you see, you see in Gideon's life, you do see a, you know, again, a brief period of time, but kind of representative, if, if you will, of the progression of uh, someone's faith. Because at the beginning, Gideon is very, very fearful and doubting. But as you go along, to, you get to the point where Gideon's at the battle, you don't see any more doubt. The doubt just, as the, as the matters get bigger and bigger and more significant, 
Gideon's faith grows and grows and grows. Now, that's what God's plan was the whole time, obviously. And Gideon's faith grew through that. Uh, and sad to say, like so many characters in the Bible, they, sh- they show great faith and have marvelous victories in faith and then fall right on their face. And that's, that's what happened to, uh, to Noah and that's happened in the life of Abraham and David and pretty much every Bible character. Uh, the Lord puts that in, in there just to remind us of who they are. And that happened with Gideon after, these, after this, uh, this great battle. So Gideon, he grows to the point that, that his faith is strong. And when he, he, he seems to no longer doubt what God says. He just acts on what God says by faith. And God comes through for him, of course. And, uh, but at this case in the fleece, uh, this is a moment when his faith is, is weak. And uh, we're going to look at that in just a minute. So let me, let me show you why I say that the incident with the fleece should not be viewed, at, for, be viewed by us as a model for ascertaining God's will um, and that it comes out of, his, out of Gideon's doubt. The first thing I want you to see is in verse 14 and in verse 16. The Bible says in chapter 6, verse 14, And the Lord looked upon him, Gideon, and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And then just go, to, go down to verse number 16, and you see uh, the, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So the first thing I want you to see is that God t- already told Gideon that he was calling him to this work to fight this, against the Midianites, that God was going to be with him, and that God was going to help him. He already told Gideon twice that this was going to be the case. And beyond that, Gideon had already asked for a sign from God, and that was the little offering we, we read about earlier, or we spoke, at, uh, this, mor- spoke of, uh, this morning, where he asked the angel of the Lord, he wanted to give an offering, and the angel of the Lord accepted that offering. That was a sign. He asked specifically. In fact, if you look at the verse... In verse number 18, uh, verse 17, rather, it says, And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, uh, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. So he directly asked for a sign. And the fleece is, of course, another sign. So there's no reason at this point that Gideon has, there's no reason he has to legitimately doubt God's word or ask for further confirmation. Now, I'm not saying in saying that, I hesitate, because I'm not saying that I would not ask for the same thing. I'm just saying there's no reason to, because God has stated it twice and given him a sign that he asked for. That's the first thing I want you to see, is that, uh, is that he already knew what God said. He already had, Gideon already had the word of God on the matter. But here's the thing. The Word of God was not sufficient for him. That is a matter of doubt. That's just a matter of doubt. What God had said was not sufficient for him to act on faith. His faith was weak, or there might be other reasons, but the bottom might be fear, might be weakness, might be, fa- might be just uh, doubt, whatever it might be. 
but the word of God as he had been, been given twice. God only has to say something once for it to be true, right? But he gave it twice, and this won't be the last time either. But that wasn't enough for Gideon to act. He felt it was insufficient. He felt it was insufficient. He wanted something more. He wanted something more than God's word, right? Now, we know in the scripture there's times when people give, when God gave signs, all right? Let me give you an example. When the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, God showed marvelous signs upon Pharaoh and upon the Egyptian people, right? He showed signs, and we, Moses had signs. Now, when God gives a sign, and it's, in, it's initiated by God himself, God gives that sign. What I mean by that is the person is not asking for a sign, but God initiates the sign. It is, its purpose is to confirm whatever the word that God gave to the people. And so he gives that, that sign, and biblically speaking, on a, on a general level, that's the purpose of signs. So we talk about signs and wonders. The purpose of signs, scripturally, is to give confirmation to God's Word. Well, in this case, that's not what's happening. God is not initiating this. Gideon is asking for it. Gideon is asking for a sign. And that comes out of, he feels, that what God has told him is insufficient. All right, let's look a little bit, a little bit further. In verse 36, it says this, And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel. Well, hold on now. If, not when, but if God told him twice he was going to do this very thing. And yet Gideon is saying if. Yet Gideon is, Gideon is showing he's betraying his own doubt in his, with his own words. All right, let's look a little bit further. In verse 36, what's it say? Continuing there, if thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, what's the next four words say? <laughs> As thou hast said. And then you go down to the next verse. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the, on the fleece only and it, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then I shall know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand as thou hast said. Gideon is acknowledging. You said it, I understood it, but that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Again, I'm, not throwing, I'm throwing little stones at Gideon, not big stones, okay? Considering myself, all right? Now let's look at one more thing that's in this passage that is uh, that's noteworthy. So Gideon asked for the, the thing with the fleece twice. Now look at the second time in verse 39. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once. It's, it's funny, he says, but this once, twice, ironically, <laughs> but he's asking for the, the miracle twice, okay, but, but this once. <clears throat> Abraham said the same thing with the same, kind of, the same kind of language in Genesis, I think it's Genesis 18, uh, when he was asking for Lot. Now, Abraham was a little bit different because Abraham wasn't speaking out of doubt. He was, he was trying to utilize every bit of God's long-suffering and eke out the very maximum amount of mercy he could get for Lot and his family and for the people of Sodom. This, however, is a little bit different, although it uses the same words. He says, 
Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once, the fleece, let it now be dry upon the fleece and uh, dew upon all the ground. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, upon all the ground, let there be dew. Okay. Why is he concerned that God's going to get angry with him for asking? And the reason he's concerned, I, I suggest, is that he knows he's pressing his luck. He's acting out of doubt. God's already told him, but he's using words that are characteristic of doubt rather than faith. Again, little stones, little stones. All right? So from these things, there's good four, there's three or four good solid reasons in the text to show that, that the origin of Gideon's idea for the fleece is not born out of faith but of doubt. And therefore, it is highly suspect that we should use this as a model. Now, you could say, some of you might be thinking, well, but God did the miracle twice. You're right, he did. But that's not all God did in this story of Gideon. It wasn't just this time. It was all the other times that Gideon doubted and showed weakness and fear that God came. What about the dream or the, the man that had the dream where Gideon was eavesdropping? That was designed. God told him to do that to ease his fear. Okay, so listen, just because we have fear and doubt, as I said this morning, doesn't mean that God just, just stands with his arms crossed and says, well, you know, figure it out. No, he knows that and he works with us. If, if God, listen, if God did not work with us, if he, and again, I'm not talking about excusing what we do, but if God did not work to rid us of all of these faults that we have and all of these, these stumbles and, and, uh, and, and quibbles that we have, fears and doubts on every hand, if he did not work with us and was not patient and long-suffering, there is not a one of us that would ever grow at all because we need that. We are faulty and weak. And God is patient, and sometimes God kind of overlooks it temporarily. And maybe, I don't know, in his heavenly notepad, notes it down and says, I'll get back to that later. And he does. And he does. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just glad for that. I mean, do you do that with your kids? I mean, when you have kids that are little, they're three or four years old, and they're learning how to do this and that, and, or when they start to get into the teenage years, oh me, you know, do you pounce on them with your full weight every single time they, they step out of line or show something that's not exactly right? No. You work with them because you want the goal. You want them to grow. You want them to be, become better. So you don't, you don't, you don't chastise them with the, the, the full weight of the law every time, that, every time they step out. And that's the way God deals with us. It's not excusing what we do, but it is working in us to make us what we should be. And this is what he's doing with Gideon. That's, I believe, why he goes along with this, with this thing with Gideon. The other thing I want you to notice about this fleece is that, not the fleece itself, but about Gideon's request of the fleece, is that Gideon's method is a problem because Gideon is dictating to God, the terms upon which God must act. He's saying, God, even though you've already told me all these things I should do multiple times in this sign, 
I want you to do this to prove to me that you're going to do what you already said you would do. There's a little bit of hubris in that, isn't there? A little bit of arrogance, a little bit of pride. Again, little stones. Because we must ask ourselves this, who are we to set the terms of such a sign? Now, you might not have ever had something really dramatic, and I'll deal with the drama in just a minute, but you might not have ever had something real dramatic like this that you dealt with you know, in your life, but all of us have had decisions in our life that we, we had difficulty coming down on a, on a firm decision, and we would say things like putting out a fleece, or we would say like a test, or you know, if, if this person calls me before this time, then I know it will be A, B, or C, or we, we, we develop these tests. But notice, all of those tests that are similar to a, the fleece incident here are things that we have thought of. And then we lay those requirements upon God as if God is obligated to follow along with what we say. That's kind of arrogant. That's kind of arrogant. Not only that, but it is contrary to what God has revealed in His Word as to the way we discern His will. These are things we have invented to make ourselves feel better. And these kinds of things are rooted in a lack of submission to, uh, toward God's will and pride and arrogance toward God. So here's the thing we should do. <clears throat> we should search our heart. When these, this idea with the fleece, laying out a fleece, we should search our heart and ask ourselves this. Why? am I asking, why am I going to lay out a fleece? I think the answer might be insightful as to our motives and as to what's behind that. Because it's not like God has left us here without direction in this world. He has. All right, before we get into, uh, we kind of turn the page and get into a different thing, but related to this same story, let me ask you a couple questions about about this kind of human sign. I, I just said human sign because human sought sign. That's what Gideon, Gideon says. God, I have a sign that I want you to do. <laughs> uh, it just seems funny. It just seems weird. Um, but what purpose is, what's the purpose of this kind of sign that we ask from God? And I say we ask from God because I'm talking about people in this room, myself included, have used words like this and talked like this when we had difficult decisions to make. And the whole idea of Gideon's fleece really is discussed most of the time, at least in my hearing, is discussed in a positive manner rather than in a negative manner. So let me ask you this. So say we, we lay out a fleece and... <clears throat> The, flee, the, the fleece, the thing we, we add, that we want God to do to prove something to us, what if it doesn't happen? Does that mean that God's, what God said is then nullified? Because, God, as I said, God's not obligated to operate by the conditions that we lay out upon Him. So if he doesn't do that thing that we ask, does that somehow excuse our disobedience? Remember, obedience is based on what? Faith, which is based on God's Word. We already have his Word. The missing element is the faith part, all right? But what, <clears throat> another question to ask is this. 
What if we're asking for a sign? Now, again, I just want to reiterate. When I say a sign, I'm not talking about some grandiose sign from heaven. I'm talking about these kind of fleeces that we would commonly refer to. What if we're asking for a sign to do something to get confirmation on something that's actually contrary to God's word, and then it happens? What then? Does that then mean that it's really what God wants, despite the fact that his word says something contrary? You see, the signs create a lot of problems. And you know, why do you think Gideon asked twice? He asked twice because the signs themselves produce doubt. Well, maybe it was an accident. Well, maybe it was a coincidence. Yeah. Oftentimes, these kinds of fleeces are merely, if we search our heart, we, we could probably see that they are just nothing more than a method to go around what God has said already that we know he has said. All right, so let's go over a few things real quick. I want to give you three ways, three, if I can say, three means whereby we can know God's will. There's more than three in the Bible, but I want to give you three whereby that we, we can know for sure that we are doing God's will. None of the three have anything to do with things like Gideon did. <clears throat> The first thing is the, is, I, that I want you to see is this. The first and primary and absolute means whereby we should make decisions <clears throat> is God's written word. And I say first because that is, there is no standard. There is no standard to know God's will and therefore his direction for your life higher and of higher priority than his written word. Now, Gideon had God's word, as I said, but he, it was not sufficient for him to act. I want to tell you something. What is written in God's word, if interpreted correctly. Now, I say that because some people take crazy things that are not intended to be interpreted the way they interpret them, and they just run with them as if, as if that's what God wants them to do. But then there's a lot of other things in the Scripture that, and principles especially in the Scripture, that are there, and if you act upon God's Word in that way, you will do right. You will be doing God's will, what He wants. Because His standard is the highest and the primary and the absolute means whereby we can know His direction. Now, I say it's absolute because if, if there's any other circumstance that contradicts what he says in his word, it is to be rejected out of hand immediately because God's direction will never contradict his word. His, he gave us his written word. We call it the scriptures, which refers to the fact of its being written, the scriptures. He's given us his written word as the standard. That's why it's permanent. Now, what Gideon, what the angel of the Lord spoke to Gideon, that wasn't the written word of God, but it was the word of God that Gideon had at that time. We have the word of God, the written word of God in its entirety. It is the standard by which we judge what God wants us to do. 
But sometimes, as with Gideon, to us, the Scripture is insufficient, is an insufficient cause to decide on a course of action. Oftentimes, we want something more sensational. We want something that's more marvelous than just black and white words in a book. We want a feeling. We want an experience like Gideon got that will really, really confirm that thing. But I want to tell you, if you obey, if you believe God's Word, the Scripture, and you obey it, it's going to be the right course of action. The Word of, listen now, the Word of God, written Word of God, here, right here, is enough by itself alone for you to make decisions that are in accordance with what God wants you to do. The Word of God alone, without fancy feelings, without signs from heaven, without fleeces wet and dry, the Word of God alone is enough. You, sometimes we come, there's decisions that are brought before us. We must make decisions in our lives. Sometimes they're difficult decisions. Should I go here or there, up and down? Listen, the, the principles and truths of the Word of God, you should search the Scripture to find any principle that is related to that matter. And if you act in accordance with those things in the Scripture, you will be doing right. And that alone is enough. Okay. I'll give you some verses. I'll just read these because these are mostly familiar verses. There is one verse I want you to turn to, if you will. Psalm 119, 105. Some of you can quote it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, we all have different ideas of what the emphasis of that verse, but let, let me just say it like this. Thy word the Scriptures, will lighten the path of our feet. It will make the path that we're going, it will make it clear and visible. It will make us know that we are doing the right thing. What will? The Scripture. Okay? The Scripture helps you make the right decision. Again, I'm contrasting that with things like Gideon did, and with feelings and emotions and sensations that sometimes we depend upon to confirm that we're doing the right thing. This is enough, though. Okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture, now follow this. I know people use this for preachers and stuff, and it, that's fine and good, but listen to the truth behind it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That's all-inclusive. God gave the Scripture to instruct you in righteousness, to make you do good works, so that you would be furnished unto good works. Right? The Word of God will help you do that. It is enough. All right? Some of you are probably thinking, well, I know there's some things. I, I, there wasn't anything in the Bible. The, the, the decisions I had to make, there wasn't anything in the Bible. 
I know there are some decisions that are more difficult than others in that way. But that does not mean there's nothing in the Bible that touches on it. There are. And sometimes it'll be a peripheral matter that the Scriptures touch on. Or sometimes the, script, the truths of the Scriptures will cast light upon the matter to make things that you didn't know were there come out so that it will inform your decision-making process better, even if it's not directly related. Like, for instance, if, you're, if you have a question, should I you know, adopt a child, for instance, or something like that? You're not going to find like a verse that says, yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't. That's not the point. The truths of Scripture will cast light upon that decision. And see, that's how we depend upon it. And when you see the way the Scripture uh, uh, casts light upon your decision, then you start to get a clear path. Because you know, all right, this is what God said in His Word. So if I do this, it's going to be consistent with what He wants me to do. Again, there's always that little faith gap. There's always that faith gap. Now look at Luke chapter 16, if you would. This is the verse I want you to look at, if you can. Luke 16, story of the rich man and Lazarus. I won't read the whole thing. The rich man dies and Lazarus die alike, despite the fact they're so much different in life. They die the same. The rich man goes to hell and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. And then the rich man has a conversation with Abraham in, in death. Now he's dead. And he said, verse 25 of Luke 16, And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, but thou art to- and thou art tormented. And beside the- all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have... Moses and the prophets. You know what that is? Moses and the prophets. That's the, that's the scripture, the Old Testament scripture. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets wrote the rest of the Old Testament. Now keep reading. And he said, nay, he said, let them hear them his brothers, his five brothers. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He's seeking a sign, a fleece, something greater than the Scripture. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You see this? The Scripture is enough. Right? Some great sign, some sensation, some feeling, some confirmation, some coincidence or quinky dink, however you call it. You don't have to have that to make wise decisions in the will of God. The Word of God is enough. All right, number two. The second means for direction in your decisions is prayer. Now, 
Psalm 139, verse 23 and 4. I'll read it just for time. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Notice what it says. And lead me in the way. That's decisions. That's a path, a course of life, right? Lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I want to make a point here that is, I think, important. And I quoted this verse uh, uh, to you because I think it's an important verse as to the question of making decisions, discerning God's direction. In In this prayer, as we pray for God to lead us and direct us, what we are not asking for is for a special feeling that God should give us. What we are not asking for is some sort of emotion or some sort of coincidence to come to pass or some other sensational event to to show us that God's Word is really true or to show us that, you know, maybe there's something else we need to do different than God's Word. No, the prayer is this. The prayer is this. We ask God to search our hearts and motives and we ask Him to make us willing to do His perfect will no matter what that that might be. The prayer is not, God, show me a sign when you're praying for God's direction. The prayer is, God, search me. Do I have any mixed motives? Because here's the thing, a divided heart will always hinder you getting direction from God. If your motives are not pure and clean and solely to do the will of God, you're going to have a hard time. And, that, and that's the thing. This is kind of the, this is a, the real key or one of the keys to this whole matter of discerning God's will in general. Is One of the biggest problems we have is our own heart's motives. We get set on a course of action that we want to do And when God's Word says something contrary to what we have determined previously, we start to ask for fleeces. This is just the reality of human life. It doesn't suit us like it didn't suit him. It made him uncomfortable, the things that God was telling him to do, get in. And so he, he started looking for things. Maybe there's some way I can get out of this. When God had already spoken. And God had already spoken. So the prayer is not, God, give me a sign. God, make this fleece happen. Make this sign come to pass. Make me have a grand feeling, a warm feeling that I know I'm doing the right thing all of a sudden. And the peace just flows over my heart. No, no, no. The prayer is, God, search me. Make me willing to do your will without reservation. Purify my motives that I can see your will and be willing to do it. It's just a matter of us examining and recognize, examining our own hearts and recognizing that we are prone to deceive ourselves. We are prone to, to, uh, to put, our, to put our, our, our thumb on the scale to try to attempt to do what we want to do that we've decided prior. Now, the last thing is the third means for getting godly and good direction contrary to the fleece 
is godly counsel. I'm going to read a few verses here. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says this, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, verse 22 says this, Without counsel, purposes are, are disappointed. Purposes, that's your, your plans, right? But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. There's so many nuances we could go into with the different words used, but I'll just keep going for time. Proverbs 24, verse 6. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And of course, Psalm chapter one, uh, Psalm 1, verse 1 says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, it is a great, as the scripture says, there is safety in other people's opinions in matters of decision. There is safety. That's what the Bible says over and over and over and over. I have proven this to be true, and I'm sure you have too. There is safety. But there are some stipulations you need to remember. Number one, the godliness of the counselor matters. Who is the counselor? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. See, when you have a godly counselor, someone who's going to give you advice, but that person themselves, himself or herself, is godly, then you know that they're going to give you counsel upon the same basis as you should be seeking counsel from the Lord, which is His Word. People that do not know God and are, are not right with God have a completely different worldview and standard by which they judge right and wrong direction. A lot of times it's bitterness. Sometimes it's retribution, vindictiveness, desire for money or gain, a lot of other motives. But when you have godly counselors, they don't have that standard. They're looking at God's will as revealed in His Word, and that leads me to the second thing. You should also seek counselors that are going to be honest with you. What does that mean? That means you should have, if you seek advice about a decision, you should seek advice from people that you know, even if you don't like it they are going to tell you the straight truth. That is so important. You see, in our day, it has become such common practice whenever decisions need to be made or a course of action needs to be taken, we have a tendency to seek only affirmation. What does that mean? That means we look for people who are going to tell us to do what we have already determined we want to do. That's affirmation. And so we seek counselors that are going to give us that kind of affirmation. That's not the kind of counselor that you need to have and that I need to have. We need to have counselors that are going to look us in the face and out of their love for us are going to say, 
No, 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 no. What you're saying is inconsistent with what God says. And see, there's where the safety comes. They have right motives and a right basis for judgment, which is God's will and God's word. And they're willing to tell you. You see, when you have those two things, you have a godly counselor who's going to be honest with you. What they're going to do is they're going to look at you and they're going to compare what you're saying with what God's Word says. And they're going to say, now hold on, with this decision, here's what God says that touches on this decision. Here's what God says. And what that does is if you're out of line in some way, and you're, maybe your motives are out of whack, or maybe you're not, you know, you have already decided what you want to do, and you're pressing toward that despite the Scripture, they're going to tell you, I don't see it like you're seeing it. But if, on the other hand, you are fully surrendered to do the will of God as revealed in the Scriptures, and you're not looking for a fleece or a sign, but it's nevertheless a difficult decision, they're going to say, look, everything in the Scripture is lining up with that. And that is going to give you great confidence. You know, I'll give you an example, and I'm finished. As you can imagine, when our family made the decision to stay in the United States. That was not a decision that we made when we left Cambodia originally. When we left in March of 2020, we did not leave planning to stay in the U.S. We really, really did not. There was a sense in our heart, I must say, though, that, that something was changing, but we didn't know what that was, and so we were just going on what God told us and what we have been doing. And a year, a full, almost a year later, after counseling with Pastor Stewart and talking with him and praying and, um, of course, talking to my wife, we got godly counsel from many different counselors and spent a lot of time talking to Pastor Stewart. But you know what really was the the crux of that, what finally made that decision. And that, that, that was a difficult decision, obviously the emotional part of it, but also that was a decision whereby we were leaving a ministry. That's, that's a hard thing to do. You feel like you're quitting. Just be honest, that's the way it feels. That's not what was in our heart, but that's the way it felt, right? That decision is hard. But having to make a decision like that, what was the crux of that decision was God's Word. Specific things, principles and truths in God's Word that shed light on that matter. That gave us the, and determined for us the right course of action. And the, honestly, I, I, and I, I'm not getting, of course, little stones, little stones. But that was really the basis upon which we made that decision. And, of course, we counseled and prayed about it, counseled with Pastor Stewart, and he saw the same thing we saw, right? And that was where the safety was, you see. That was where the safety was. A lot of motive searching. But, see, God, I do believe it was God's will. Not that it was easy. It's still not easy sometimes. In fact, just the other week, somebody was here. Oh, it was when the Masons were here. I mean, I had to leave during the invitation and just go be alone. It was hard. But for those that want direction from God to do the will of God, 
The Word of God is enough. But God gives us other things as well to support that position. We don't have to resort to sensational ideas like, like fleeces and signs and stipulations we put upon God to get God's direction. He has given it to us in His Word, and we can trust in that.